Jason White, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Corbett, thanks for uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, my pleasure. You know, I want this to be a, a free flow, free form type conversation. Just want to talk about innovation, talk about some of the things you're up to, some of the trends and things that you're seeing on the West Coast. Yeah. And uh, so I, w- I want to jump into it. Tell me a little bit about how you got started in technology. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was... I was a Generation X uh, or kind of uh, later on. Um, I I graduated University of Georgia back in 98. When I came out, I I took a a traditional copywriter role in in an agency, you know, kind of Mad Men style. Um, I guess you would call it back then a traditional offline agency. And it was very much when online was kind of exploding. And, uh, and I wanted to kind of join my generation. There were a lot of startups that were, uh, that were popping up around in and around Atlanta. And, um, and one of them caught my eye etour. It was, uh, it was kind of a sort type experience. Um, it wasn't a search engine. It wasn't a portal, uh, search engines didn't really work that well, uh, back then, uh, they were all kind of working off of, uh, of, of meta tag, uh, uh based, um, if you remember the Lycoses of the world mm-hmm. and all, and all yeah. of that, it's, it's very hard to find information. So, you know, eTour would package up information based on your interests. You make it your homepage and you'd have like a customized surfing experience. Um, so it was really cool. They were looking for, you know, creative thinkers and, you know, really kind of pulling people from agencies that are, you know, used to coming up with concepts, um, idea people to be product people. And so that kind of started my foray because, you know, there wasn't, there weren't anybody uh, that were, you know, in the market or there, there wasn't anyone coming out of college that had like, you know, product experience in mm-hmm. uh, a dot-com right. uh, because, you know, Amazon had just uh, been invented, you know, three or so years prior. Um, and everybody wanted to be the next Amazon. I, I, I certainly did. Um, yeah, all of us. Right. And, uh, and yeah, there were, you know, there were some, uh, there were some great highs, uh, and there were, and there were some great lows. Unfortunately, um, we didn't, uh, we didn't fully come out the other side of it. We were bought for pennies on the dollar after, uh, after, uh, uh, pushing off an offer from big companies like AOL. Cause, uh, it, it just wasn't in the billion dollar range. <laughs> right. I so, remember. you know, you kind of yeah. kind of kick yourself in the in the in the heat <laughs> there, but it, it was yeah very very many levels above my pay grade at the time. So uh, I wasn't involved in that. Uh, was involved in kind of a downsized uh, rounds of downsized efforts, and uh, ultimately got them over to Ask Jeeves and uh, and uh, and integrated them in there, and just kind of kind of made my transition from there. Moved to the West Coast, um, started getting involved in uh, various other startups like. Lower my bills, um, which was acquired by Experian, and really kind of got into the advertiser side of Bank of America to kind of create like a lower my bills uh, in the in the lending division as they had acquired Countrywide Home Loans. Mm-hmm. And so I've worked on various sides. Um, I built a an online ad network, um, advertising network for Fox uh, called the Fox Audience Network. Um, it was part of Fox Interactive Media that. Uh, and tethered to big sites like uh, MySpace um, at the time. Uh, it was very huge. Rotten Tomatoes, Ask Men, IGN uh, were part, part of the Fox Interactive Media kind of cluster. Um, and, and we invented uh, a real-time bidding, uh, which is basically the foundation for programmatic, programmatic advertising, automation of, uh, of advertising uh, online. 
and you know, partnered with companies like OpenX, uh, that uh, that was an online ad exchange. Um, you know, at its infancy, took a uh, took a role with them eventually, uh, but before that, was like the CMO of TrueCar. Then took TrueCar into you know television, and they were a place that was kind of like Groupon. Um, Groupon meets uh, you know kind of a shared lead model. Um, where you know you could find the right price uh, for a car, and then you could take it into uh, into a dealer and get that price, um, which was uh, which was really innovative at the time. And uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, they went public. Uh, we had a good public offering there. Recently, I've uh, I've been kind of focused on the. Um, I spent like seven years at CBS Interactive running programmatic, um, and was the executive vice president over there. Um, and then when the Viacom transition uh, was happening, it, it really felt good about like a lot of the innovations we have done on the CTV OTT side mm-hmm. um, with CBS All Access. And, um, and you know, I was really kind of innovating and running uh, the ad monetization for that. And then, you know, I, I've always been kind of uh, kind of keen on uh, on identity um, and, and how the open web can get more identifiable for marketers really the rise of the walled gardens, um, like the Facebooks of the world, have been driven by their ownership of our identities. You know, you get on to Facebook, right. you, right. Uh, yeah, you, you log in uh, with your email and you give all of your, uh, you know, kind of personal information in exchange for, uh, you know, the, the ability to connect with your friends and, you know, see uh, see cat pictures, baby pictures, and uh, <laughs> and, and recently maybe some incendiary uh, 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 political uh, debates um, and 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 false falsehoods. Mm-hmm. Um, it's turned into kind of an animal, but uh, but you know, in in general, like how can you how can you enable the open web that has way more scale to to, to be able to provide that same kind of level for, um, uh, of targeting for, for marketers, you know, partners that I've worked with over the years, uh, when I was at CBS, like the trade desk, um, obviously a, a very popular blue chip and, uh, and stock, um, in, in the, uh, kind of digital advertising side, programmatic advertising side, uh, in the stock market, uh, they've been a darling over the past couple of years. You know, they have, they have very much tried to emulate that, you know, like Jeff Green, their CEO, uh, a good friend of mine is, has always kind of established like their playbook. Like, how can we make an ad as easy to buy? Like, you know, my my mom or my grandmother could buy an ad on Facebook. It's like extremely easy. You know, all these small businesses are able to to buy there. All of these brands, it performs extremely well because they're all able to do. You know, when you have identity, there's a lot of things that you can do with that um, to make it more performant for marketers. But you know, Jeff's focused on like how, how can I do that on the open web. And, you know, identity is kind of a, a core of that. And as we start to see all of these cookies go away, you know, you're starting to see Chrome uh, has made an announcement that they are going to sunset cookies at the beginning of uh, 2022. IDFA changes, as you've seen Apple uh, uh, and, and Facebook kind of argue back and forth on the cover of the Wall Street Journal uh, uh, over uh, Apple's getting rid of the IDFA, which is a, uh, an identifier that uh, marketers use to target all of these things, like we've been talking about in the digital marketing world for years. And, and at CBS, I was always keen on how can I get more market share away from the Facebooks of the world? You know, more and more digital dollars and market share goes over to them every single year. And at that core, it's identity. Uh, and that's where I kind of came into working with LiveRamp to run 
uh, their addressability side on the publisher side of the business. Um, you know, really in this next wave, uh, we are re-architecting the web, mm-hmm. uh, getting rid of cookies, uh, getting rid of third-party identifiers, making the web a more trusted ecosystem. And at the core of that, every publisher is uh, is is going to be getting people to log into their sites. Um, so if if in the future we're going to have a, an open web that is a free internet, um, an open web that you know continues to democratize information and, and provide that available for all classes of people out there, um, which is really the power of it. It's going to come at at the uh, at the cost of of people really sizing up their relationship with with these digital publishers and saying, "I am going to opt in to log in uh, either through an email address or either through some social sign in, sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google uh, to that site, so that they can ultimately leverage that uh, for targeting. It'll be transparent. You'll be able to manage your preferences. You'll be able to opt out, um, and it'll be very transparent on how you can opt out." But, you know, all of these things that we've kind of seen uh, with, you know, the platforms and the browsers and even regulation, GDPR, CCPA, it's just becoming more of a flashpoint. Um, and uh, and that's why, you know, we're ultimately re-architecting um, everything. So that's why, you know, I, I took the role of LiveRamp. So that's kind of yeah. me in a nutshell of uh, of what's kind of, you know, driven my path into, into digital. That's, that's interesting. You know, when it comes to digital marketing, the future of it. And you, yep. that, that's interesting what you were just talking about with each individual publisher yeah. being able to, uh, you log in, you're able to specify your preferences and, and mm-hmm. those types of things. What are some of the other things you see when it comes to digital marketing in the future? It may, maybe three to five years down the road yeah. that may be evolving that you're starting to see now. Yeah. So I, here's, here's what I think, you know, one, one, one thing that uh, really was uh, like eye opening for me was um, an, an extremely well-regarded chief investment officer at, uh, at one of the most innovative agencies uh, that, you know, kind of uh, sits in WPP and works with clients like T-Mobile and, and Google. I had this revelatory meeting with him uh, about, well, it was in December, 2019, right before we went into this pandemic and right before I left uh, CBS uh, to join LiveRamp. And he had this one slide and he said, this is what I want to do for my clients. I want to target my campaigns globally, meaning not just in any market, uh, but cross-platform. Uh, I want to be able to target in, in one like you know campaign, I want to be able to target across CTV, the web, both desktop and mobile, and app. And I want to frequency cap number two, meaning control the frequency of my advertisements. And it doesn't matter if it's video, doesn't matter if it's a banner ad, uh, doesn't matter if it's any of that. I want to maintain my frequency. Frequency is an important thing for marketers. Uh, if, if you hit someone and you overexpose someone with a campaign, um, you won't get performance, meaning you won't sell goods. That's ultimately the outcome that marketers are looking for. Uh, and he's like, and he said, I want to measure my campaign cross-platform uh, so that I know that when I spend $100 million digitally and linearly, I want to connect it to the stuff that I'm doing in television, that I am not buying duplicative reach. I'm not buying the same person over and over again. I'm finding unique consumers. And if I lower 
that exposure, that overexposure, I'm going to lower my overall costs to acquire a consumer and drive more sales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I said, well, you know, that's, that's amazing. It's an incredible vision and, and we should rally around that. The things that are preventing us from doing that right now is currently you have all of these walled gardens of identifiers. Forget about the walled gardens. You have the walled gardens of identifiers that don't communicate with one another. You've got cookies. Cookies don't talk to maids, which are mobile ad IDs. Um, the IDFA, Android ID, these are used as primary keys and app advertising that marketers target and measure off of. Um, and CTV IDs and IP addresses that are currently used as the targeting mechanism in CTV. None of that stuff talks to itself. And they have to work with partners like LiveRamp to be able to uh, tie that to uh, an identifier. Um, and, um, and so ultimately, I see companies like LiveRamp being able to, you know, with their offline graph and their online graph, be able to continue to power cross-platform measurement. But now that we're rolling out our authenticated traffic solution, now marketers are able to buy on that identity everywhere, Uber channel, and they can you know, control their frequency cap uh, across omnichannel in addition to linear television. And, and that's revolutionary stuff uh, mm-hmm. to be able to control that, to, to drive those desired outcomes aforementioned, lower costs um, and more sales. That's a dream for any CMO, right? That's, that's really interesting. OTT, you mentioned that. Yeah. I'm really interested in, in that whole streaming uh, area. I've worked with several companies that are in that spot that do various things. And we've talked about it offline about various companies. What are, what are some of your thoughts when it comes to the the growing consumption of content on streaming and yeah. how that is intersecting with you know people cutting the cord and everything coming together on the internet? Yeah. <laughs> um, from yeah. Uh, live uh content that a a person may be producing themselves on their YouTube channel to a, you know, professional, you know, an Amazon prime uh, show or or how all of that's intersecting together. What are some of your thoughts around that? And what do you see that as an opportunity looking forward for innovation to happen and to get involved in something at the ground floor? Absolutely. I mean, you, I mean, technology, I mean, you look at like in the Wall Street Journal this morning, the, you know, I'm a big fan of the uh, uh, Satya, the uh, CEO over at Microsoft, mm-hmm. um, you know, from his perch, you know, they're continuing to invest in technology. So you're, what you're talking about is the technology of disintermediation of existing right. things like television, existing things like live events, right? You know, how OTT and and streaming are changing those things, you know, of our GDP today, he said, you know, it's 5%, but, you know, he sees in the next 10 years that, you know, technology is going to go to 10% of our, uh, our gross domestic product. I hundred percent, thousand percent believe that. I think a lot of that is going to be on that screen. I I think a lot of it is going to be through other screens. Um, Streaming is obviously a big component of that. I think, like I've in, invested in, in a business um, that was, you know, live streaming mm-hmm. uh, a platform uh, during this pandemic. I mean, it, it's something that I think coming out of this pandemic, this pandemic is going to show us like um, that, it, you know, there's going to be a before and an after 
um, in terms of like, you know, kind of like 9-11, if you remember 9-11, there was a before 9-11 and there was an after 9-11, you know, there was the world before and there was the world that came after. And, you know, effectively, there's going to be a world before uh, the pandemic and there's going to be a world after. I think streaming live events, no brainer. I mean, if you think about it in terms of ticket sales from a uh, uh, an event perspective, if you're someone like Pearl Jam and, you know, you usually go out to sell out venues and there are people like follow Pearl Jam and and, and want to buy their live uh, uh, performances, kind of like the Grateful Dead, right? Right, yeah. Um, and, and there's this whole market for that. And if you think about it from a streaming perspective, think about all of those people that can't be at that uh, at that you know um, event in in Chicago. Uh, think about all those people that would pay for a ticket to stream um, uh, uh, that um, uh, event in Chicago. Think about all those people in Chicago that have kids that you know are are is one thing. Like I, I wasn't aware like how fast my life would change when I had kids. Like we're all of a sudden doing takeout, and I had no idea that for most restaurants takeouts 40% of their business. I mean, you look at people that are being able to survive in the pandemic, they're able to survive because they've cut their costs and they're relying on that stream of of takeout, which is obviously increased, right? And and so, you know, these people that are segments that have, you know, been able to miss out, like I always call it the lost years, like when we had the kids, you know, like I haven't (laughs) been to a live show in five years. I haven't played golf in five years (laughs) because you can't, um, you know, because you're tethered to this new human being. Um, And, and, and this changes all of that, right? Like you, you don't have to miss out on that stuff anymore. It's just going to change our, our world. And it's already changed our world, like OTT on the, um, on the production side, like you were talking about Amazon. I mean, all of these on-demand shows that we've been able to, to like binge into and 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 access um, during this pandemic. You see the Netflixes of the world. I mean, there are literally new media companies that have evolved over the past you know five right. uh, years that weren't around before. And you look at the existing broadcasters, and it's put like significant pressure on their businesses. Like we had to, we were way out in front of it at CBS. Like we created. Uh, a 24-7, 365 news app. And we're the first ones to do it with CBS News um, on OTT. Uh, and then all access, um, you know, being able to provide and, and us produce our own shows from the digital division. That was unheard of it's 10 years ago. Yeah. It's unheard amazing. of 10 years ago. So, yeah. That, you know, one of the funny things, thinking back, I think I w- it was around 1992, there was yeah. a guy that told me, he was like, you know, the, the future in media, this is how it's going to go. He goes, imagine you wanting to watch a TV show and you having a phone book where Mm -hmm. you can just look up an episode of a show and you type in your phone a number and then that is delivered to your TV set. And then you're going to be able to watch that. And I'm like, you serious? You know, any, any show? And then, you know, back then the show came on and if they didn't show it reruns, you really didn't never see it again. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing. And now all those years later, I mean, we're, we're there. Yeah. A little different format, but it's yeah. interesting to think at how much you have, you know, from our, my standpoint, I have prime Netflix, Hulu and, uh, and Disney plus <laughs> that, 
has thousands and thousands of things to watch. Yeah. And half the time we never can figure out what we want to watch. That's right. So that's, the next, that's the next thing. Curation and, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and recommendations off of that. Like the, you know, the Pluto TVs of the world, like they've been oh, able yeah. to capitalize on that because they've created stations where, it, you know, it's a, it, it's a genre. Like yes. I, yeah. I want to watch like, 70s tv shows and i just want that on in the background and they turn it on and they watch like three's company and you know uh all all of those other great gems from the from the 70s that we saw reruns on uh you know in the 80s and i I also remember like you know in uh, 2000 um or right before like bill gates had a mission statement you know where and he was way out in front of it with web tv remember web tv yeah yeah Um, you know, I mean, they just didn't have the bandwidth in order to to, to achieve that vision. But it, it was basically kind of like the precursor, obviously, of like Apple TV and OTT and like a lot of these things. Um, but, you know, Internet on the tel- on your television kind of deal. Funny thing with Pluto TV, my yeah. nine year old daughter was uh, came to me and said, hey, have you ever heard of Baywatch? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. She goes, Baywatch has a channel on Pluto. Yeah. And and. She's like, can I watch it? I'm like, nah, you, you know, you don't want to watch that. It's a cheesy yeah. 90s uh, yeah. <laughs> show where people run in slow motion down the beach. And <laughs> Yeah, it, it's going to get to this point where there's so much like on demand's great. I, I love to be able to go and pick what I want to watch. But sometimes I just want stuff like tailored to me you know, kind of deal. Yeah. And I think, I think that, you know, as this stuff goes out, I think we're going to see more of that. That's, that's interesting. If you had a chance to do a do-over just in your business career, what would you do differently? In my business career, if I had a do-over, what would I do differently? Um, I would have, uh, I would have tried to do something in um, entertainment. I would have, uh, I would have loved to have been at the ground level of some of this disintermediation of the new media companies. I would have loved to, yeah, I would have loved to have been Reed Hastings <laughs> and see that coming. I mean, that's just, just wow. You know, and, and to be, a, and to be a part of something that, I mean, they were, you know, you were, you were using this website to get DVDs delivered to your house and they have pivoted into being one of the largest media companies uh, creating original programming mm-hmm. on the planet. I mean, that's incredible. I would, really I, w- I would have, I would have loved to have, uh, I would have loved to have been um, at the ground floor of that. Cause I'm a, uh, you know, I, I very much, when I said I left to the West coast, like, you know, I worked in the entertainment industry and I, and I think I would have been able to bring my dot-com experience and my entertainment uh, industry experience uh, to bear but, you know, I, I was tempted by, you know, I talked about the lower my bills paths and, and stuff like that. I was tempted by, you know, getting back into digital advertising. But, you know, I mean, look, we're middle aged. So I've, I've got half of my half of my life left to uh, potentially do something there. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, when it comes to innovation, you know, I, I got my thoughts because I'm, I'm here on the East Coast and the Southeast, which is really a conservative area when it comes to innovation. Or investing when it comes to VCs. Yeah, you're on the you're in Los Angeles. You've been in San Francisco and, and yep. those areas which are more aggressive. And you know, we see a lot of unicorns. See a lot of interesting things happening. Yeah. What do you? What's your thoughts on the difference between 
the Southeast uh, technology scene and really the West Coast and some of the areas you've been? Is it, yeah. is it similar to what I'm seeing? I think, I th- I think it is. I think it's changing. Um, I think it's changing because I think, you know, uh, one, of, one of our best exports here in the state of California is technology and people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think, um, what you're seeing with, again, a pre COVID post COVID post COVID, you're seeing more people live anywhere. You're seeing it with Texas. You're seeing, uh, people move to other areas in Atlanta, um, in, in the digital, uh, you know, kind of marketing realm. And, and, and the key thing that has grown, uh, innovation out here has been, uh, capital and, uh, education. You take Stanford as an example in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, you, you've had Sand Hill Road where all the VCs, you know, kind of have, have their dump trucks uh, backed up uh, and you've got Stanford and, and they are definitely connected, 100%. And, um, you know, they were at the, uh, the boom of the computer wars. Before that, the chip wars, Hewlett Packard's of the world. Uh, they're the core of the mobile world, uh, apps, uh, dot coms, and, uh, and and they're definitely fueling like a lot of this innovation we're talking about on streaming and um, and OTT. Now, a- as as we see this progress, um, we're, we're seeing uh, a migration. You've got people like Elon Musk that have you know picked up and moved to Austin. People that are moving their headquarters um, out of the Bay Area. In, into other areas across um, across the country, and and I think what what comes with that will be more of changing that behavior that you've traditionally seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely has made it interesting with the remote working and in in me talking to some of these larger companies on the innovation side, and you know I've had a number of companies from the West Coast that are, you know, Fortune 100 companies that have been talking about moving to Atlanta because of just the cost. <laughs> the cost of living is, is yeah. so so different from other areas of the country. A lot of a lot of folks have already done it, but I mean, based yeah. on the pandemic, I mean, there are a lot of folks from New York that came down there, uh, folks from even the West Coast that went out there. I mean, look at the election. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely shifted and has changed a lot of a lot of things. You know, this whole yeah. this whole movement of working from home. You know, I've been doing it since March of last year, and uh, you know, yeah. I work within a technology incubator. So there's a lot of in person, face to face meetings that we have always had, which yeah. we have not able been able to have. Yeah, which has changed the you know complexion of what we do. But it's been interesting just to to really continue to to stay out there, and you know, innovation continues, and uh, companies are still looking for new ways, you know, may, maybe uh, touchless ways, and like NCR, for example, uh, ways to, for touchless checkouts to uh, sales reps looking for a way to sell without actually coming into contact with. Uh, with a person. So, I mean, it's been interesting, just some of the strategy discussions we've had, you know, on, on the innovation side, 5G, that's something that I've been talking about a lot with uh, some of my bigger clients. Do you have any ideas? You know, obviously 5G is 
going from what we know is going to change media in the way media is delivered even more than what we were seeing now, just because of the speed and then the possibility of, of what we can have delivered to us utilizing 5g. Do you have any ideas or, or thoughts or you, you, uh, yeah, I, I think I think five G is going to be a game changer. I, I mean, it, just based on everything, anytime it's like Moore's law, right? Like, and we talked about Hewlett Packard before in the chip game. Um, you know, with uh, with you know, kind of Intel, and the birth of Moore's law was, you know, every X amount of years, there's X amount of innovation, right? That and it happens exponentially. 5G is the culmination of all of that um, from a from a bandwidth perspective, and and what we're going. I've always said, like you know, when I walk around with my um, you know cell phone in my hand, my cell phone is able to do more advanced things than my computer is, and and we have more computing power in in this little phone mm-hmm. than than most computers. That's insane, right? And, and what we're going to be able to do with a faster connection, I mean, the applications are, are, are endless. I mean, I, this is going to be a whole new wave of innovation uh, from a video perspective, what you're going to be able to do there, uh, a whole new wave of innovation in terms of communication, um, you know, uh, content consumption, just the ability to get information faster. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I was talking to a group and they were talking about holograms. Yes. And how 5G is going to step up that technology. And, you know, some of the discussion was, you know, imagine watching a TV show, but in a hologram form in your I mean, family room. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I mean, you think about, so I read Ready Player One and I'm, I'm reading uh, Ready Player Two uh, currently. And, you know, I, I love those things. They talk about the virtual world, which I, you know, I have an Oculus and um, mm-hmm. it's, it's nowhere near, obviously, what those books and the movies uh, <laughs> propose. But, you know, it, it will be 10 years from now to the point of what you're talking about, holograms, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality. Uh, I mean, the applications are, think about it from like a, a person who is, um, who has memory issues, like think about this for like a later stage life, you know, think about the quality of life people are going to be able to have with this technology. It's unbelievable. You know yeah. I mean? You know, it, it's, it's, it's going to change the world. It's uh, you know, one of the examples we talked about was somebody said, you know, imagine watching friends, the TV show, and you're actually in their apartment. It feels like you're in that their apartment with, you know, hologram technology and emergent totally. technology where you're actually in there. And that, that was interesting to think, be like, wow, that's, that's, uh, that would be an experience just to be able to, to have that at your fingertips. Incredible. All the time. And I think, I think that's completely doable. You know, some other, you mentioned Elon Musk earlier and, you know, obviously Tesla and some of the, some of the things they're doing, we, I do some things with Tesla and what's interesting to me is, you know, they're a car company, but really a technology company because you see all the technology that is being developed underneath, uh, you know, from a Thomas driving to battery technology, you know, what are some of your, your thoughts on, I love to ask people this autonomous driving, 
Do you see that within the next 10 years as being a more of a common thing that we're going to see on, on the streets or yes, further I out? I do. I do. And um, I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be, again, talk about changing the quality of life. I am convinced that my grandfather uh, could have lived longer had he had the ability to continue to drive his car. Mm-hmm. Had, the, had he had the ability to, you know, have some support uh, for certain things, you know, around the house that technology could have, could have helped with. We talked about, you know, the augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, things that can help with dementia and stuff like that, uh, that can change the quality of life. I, I firmly believe that it's the future, you know, uh, people can drive manually if they want. Um, that's, that's great, but there's a certain segment of people, handicapped people, um, you know, uh, that haven't been able to, um, participate in, in normal daily functions, Mm -hmm. um, like driving a car. Uh, that that will be a game changer, and um, and and then I think that there'll be flying cars. Like you know, you look at uh, some of the things with drones, and I think that they're going to be in the form of drones. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- those are all going to be automated. What comes first is uh, the delivery. So it's the delivery of packages delivered by drones um, that will be able to handle the weight of packages. But then you know that's going to establish the network. Uh, for the FAA to set lanes in the skies and regulate that uh, just like they do uh, with existing airlines um, and and just like the automobile industry um, is regulated. Now, in instances like that, I I don't think that there's any other choice but automated driving uh, because, you know, you don't want to have a bunch of Jetsons type situations where people are falling out of the sky because they're getting into into accidents up above us. Um, So it's very much going to have to be automated, but it's going to very much work like an app. You know, you you talked about Tesla earlier, you get in the car, you program your destination, where you're going to go, um, whether it's your, you know, uh, on the street car, uh, land car or air car. And it will go where you want it to go. And that's just going to be a game changer. It'll save so many lives too. I mean, you think about it, like yeah, how, yeah. How, many, how many lives are lost from, you know, accidents on the, on the freeways. I mean, people talk about like, you know, issues with the technology and, and what if there's a bug or something like that. I, I think that there's far more accidents from human nature um, right. yeah. than there will be from that. Yeah. Who would have ever thought we would have our own, kit from Knight Rider. Uh, it's like my Driving dream, right? I know. I know. As, a, as a Gen X dude, like <laughs> <a> total dream. <laughs> it was always my fantasy when I was a kid and Friday nights. It was going to be a real. Yeah. yeah. After, go, after Golden Girls. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Mm. I know we're getting ready to wrap up. I always ask everybody, what are your top three bands of all time? Top three bands of all time would be the Beatles, Nirvana, and um, I would I would probably say, you know, not to not to say the Rolling Stones because I, I love the Rolling Stones, but um, the the people that really influenced um, uh, all of these musicians would be people like um, 
you know, kind of your muddy waters of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the benefit that we had growing up in the South was, uh, you know, we had places that we could go to, uh, and, and see these musicians. Um, and, and they were the original, they were the original, uh, trailblazers. Um, you know, the reasons that we had Elvises of the world were because the record labels wanted what the African-Americans were doing, uh, mm-hmm. but, but in something that was more quote unquote marketable, right? Right. Right. <laughs> right? Um, for the mainstream <laughs> and, um, but, but I, and I think the, the folks like, uh, yeah, some of those early pioneers, like the, you know, the old school uh, rhythm and blues uh, movement, like the Muddy Waters uh, of the world are just awesome. I, I love listening to him. Yeah, we, we both, we met in Athens, Georgia. So, you know, that's a great yep. music scene. Oh, yeah. We experienced lots of, uh, you know, cool things oh. in 40 Watt and... Georgia yep. Theater and all those other venues they have all around the town. So those are those are great times. Oh yeah, REM, REM is up there. REM is up there. But uh, you know, you, you got. I'm a firm believer in uh, diversity. You know, and you got to you got to you got to acknowledge. You know mm-hmm. where, and and you know, folks like the Beatles and folks like the Rolling Stones, they do. You know, they acknowledge the pioneers, mm-hmm. and we, we're talking about innovation here. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the folks that created rock and roll, you know, on a, on a front porch, you know, in the South, uh, in a, in a speakeasy in the, you know, in, in the thirties, you know, uh, down below and, you know, all, all colors of people, you know, going and seeing, uh, seeing them. That's a great thing about the South. It's like, you, you do have this great diversity, you know, you can, you can go to, you can get these great joints in the South, like, and you see people from all walks of life, you know, mm-hmm. that come right. there, you know, white, black, yellow, green. I don't, I don't care, you know, rich, poor, whatever. And they're just there to listen to, you know, great music and, you know, God bless that. And, and, and I, that's what I love about the South. I, I can't wait to see how that art side, that rich art side comes together with technology as like more technology and, and more VCs kind of like grow in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's going to be, I think the Southeast has a, has a great future. Cause when that stuff we've always seen, like when art and science come together, like Steve jobs, he's one of my favorite innovators, right? He was a total artist. Right. Right. But, but he immersed himself in technology. And when like those things come together, wow. You know, one of the things when it comes to art and technology and, and, you know, that coming together, it's, uh, I think ATDC as a whole, you know, we're one of the oldest technology incubators in the country yeah. and we've raised 140 million in VC money last year. Our companies did. Wow. So, I mean, it shows you there's a lot of interesting things happening. Plus the music scene. Oh yeah. Well, tell me about it. I mean, one of the things that I created in the past year is a you know record label. Mm, oh yeah. Yeah. But, but a new, but for the new age, because it needs to be, the existing model needs to be rethought. Right. Right. And I, I, I believe that. And I think with some of the, the focus that you have on that, you're, you're utilizing new technology innovation, but using some of the things in the past that, were used to develop an artist to make them that artist that can be around, you know, the ones you just mentioned, the bands, you know, the Beatles, 
you can listen to them now and they're still relevant. The, the they're music, timeless. Yeah, they the were music the, they is were still the most, good. They were the most streamed artists of 2020, Corbett. That's amazing. That's Unbelievable. Amazing. And, Unbelievable. And, and then even, you know, Nirvana, that, yeah. that's from the early 90s. I mean, that's still, that music is still, still holds up today. Just the that's way right. it sounds. It doesn't sound like a, a time stamped, you know, an 80s band or something like that from a, a different time period. Innovation is innovation, right? That, Correct. That those, those people that are, uh, I, I was reading an article yesterday, Gary Gersh, the guy uh, that discovered Nirvana uh, for Geffen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a total innovator, you know, in, I think in the music events category now and running kind of a, a music events business, obviously been hurting over the past year. But, you know, I mean, he, he discovered even on Billie Eilish, like early on and said, like, she's going to be as significant for this generation as Kurt Cobain was for his generation. And he's spot on, you know, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, there's all, there are, there are always going to be those artists, right? Yeah, there is. And it's amazing to see them just come out of nowhere and, and yeah. pop up and it's yeah. just, it's an interesting sight. Last question. Yeah. One of your favorite business focused movies. Uh, Boiler Room is one that sticks out. Yeah, love that. Love that one. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street is a good one recently. That was just uh, was just uh, fantastic. Yeah. Wall Street. Um, that's a, one of my favorite. Gordon Gecko, right? I yeah. mean, it's classic eighties. <laughs> classic, yeah. But, but those are uh, those are ones that kind of uh, that kind of stick out. I I do you know I'm a I'm a I'm a big like. Michael Keaton fan and um and and one that kind of sticks out for me from the 80s also was Gung Ho which I thought was oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a good movie <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that's it's on the auto industry right yeah um, but uh yeah it, yeah it, and that was a funny one that's cool that's funny well, yeah. man, thank you so much for spending some ah. time I know this was quick but I wanted to I think it was a good sprint and we were able to get some good content here. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my pleasure, Corbett. Thanks for having me. Um, and any, 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 you know, social media outlet, um, like LinkedIn, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me, uh, Jason White. I currently work for live ramp. Um, and I'm on, uh, I'm on social media as well. Uh, and you know, you can always, uh, you know, drop me an email, uh, Jason C white seven, six at gmail.com. Perfect, man. Thank you so much. All right, bud. Thanks Corbett. Great talking to you. Good talking to you.